Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Hello, and welcome to episode 89, Polyamory Uncensored, where we're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives with Mike Joseph. So hi, Mike. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Who are you? Who am I? Uh, I am Mike Joseph. I am a a podcast host and producer. Uh, I host a podcast called Detoxicity, which is about uh, just sort of being a man in today's society and and what that entails, which is a lot of what that entails, which is a lot of unlearning and a lot of of just kind of uh, uh, plowing through toxic bullshit that we have uh, been taught growing up. I am a mental health advocate. Uh, I am occasionally on a podcast that some of you may know very well uh, called Life on the Swing Set. Uh, So I do a few different things. Terrific. Um, How do you identify? Uh, Well, I identify uh, as, you know, he, him. Uh, Those are my pronouns. Uh, I do identify as polyamorous. Right now I am solo poly. And uh, I identify as queer, which is uh, sort of, it's evolving. As many of us uh, evolve, uh, I, I identify as largely homoromantic and, you know, sort of on the homo side of bisexual as well. Uh, but, you know, it, gay doesn't feel, I don't feel comfortable with gay. So queer it works a lot more for me. And what does polyamory mean to you? You know, you know polyamory means the freedom to love people the way I want to love people. Um, it is the freedom to not be tied into very typical roles of monogamy, many of which I find kind of silly in retrospect. Uh, and it's uh, just an acknowledgement that the space that I have to love people can, doesn't always, but can contain more than one person. So what drew you to polyamory? <laughs> I, before I knew what polyamory was, I conflated it with swinging and I had this image of episodes of three's company with Larry, the neighbor and his shirt down to his belly button and like chest hair everywhere. And just these people with like, I don't know, with like uh, uh, Paisley shirts and like moo's and stuff like that. Just like at a party, like, I don't know. It just felt very, very old and white to me. <laughs> and I didn't know anybody polyamorous until that was openly polyamorous until I was in my thirties and uh, met a couple on OkCupid. And at the same time I was, uh, you know, seeing a therapist and a very big proponent of therapy and was kind of explaining to my therapist, the experiences that I was having and the way that I was feeling. And he's like, I know a book that you should read. It's called the ethical slut. And I want you, when you get a chance, you know, pick up this book. And uh, I was living in Boston at the time. 
And my uh, therapist's office was right in Harvard Square, so right near the Harvard campus. And I walked over to the Harvard bookstore, asked them if they had this book, picked it up immediately after the session and started reading it on the way home. And from there, I was just like, oh, this does a really good job of explaining how I feel. I can put a name to this and it doesn't feel like I'm the only Looney Tune out here that feels this way. And uh, it kind of went from there. And that was, I want to say, seven or eight years ago. And, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. So what about polyamory do you find difficult, if anything? Relationships. Uh, people are, uh, a lot of people aren't used to being honest. Um, I have really grown in the last few years and tried to practice radical honesty whenever possible. It's not always great at it, but I, I, I try. And I think particularly when it comes to cultivating closer relationships, there's some difficulty there. Um, with honesty, I think men are a lot less attuned to radical honesty in expressing feelings um, than women and non-binary people are. Um, so really just kind of the communication and honesty aspect of it has been rough. And I also think being a, you know, a, a, a male who prefers other men in the poly community, it's strange to me how a lot of uh, gay men in particular still sort of stick to that monogamy script or it's in a don't ask, don't tell type situation. I don't know very many uh, gay men who are polyamorous, who are openly polyamorous. So, you know, it's been difficult from a few different ways, but, you know, I am who I am and uh, I, I don't see myself being in a monogamous relation, a mutually acknowledged monogamous relationship in the future. And, um, you know, people are going to have to deal with it. Uh, anybody I date is going to have to deal with that. Could you say a little bit more about radical honesty? It sounds like you mean something specific when you use that phrase. I think it's just being uh, being as honest as you can be in a situation. Even now, I, I remember a situation, well, a situation that I can't remember, but I remember there being a situation at some point within the last week. I think I was talking to my dad about something. And uh, I told a white lie. And in the back of my head, I was like, why the hell did you do that? You didn't need to do that. It's so common, I think, for people to just, if it's a topic that they kind of want to avoid, to just like be a little obtuse uh, or maybe just tell like a little fib as opposed to just saying, hey, this is what's on my mind. And sometimes being honest about what's on my mind can be hurtful or, or difficult. Um, uh, and it's not the intention. But I do think that when everything is out on the table, it just kind of makes for better, uh, better relationships, better understanding. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And being conscious of when we have that impulse towards the little white lie to kind of smooth over whatever awkwardness or. Yeah, I, and I was so upset with myself. I was like, you know, Mike, you could have just said no, this isn't happening. But I was like, I don't want to get into a longer drawn out discussion or, or whatever. It's just like, I'm just going to agree with what this man says and let's move on to the next topic. And I think we all do that. And sometimes it's to our detriment. Yeah, definitely. So, I know uh, I've gotten caught up in like trying to explain things to a toddler and, and it's, it's hard to be radically honest. And it is of course my goal, but then yeah, sometimes it's just hard to explain things and you end up kind of having these like white lies to make it make sense. And 
Uh, my my husband luckily is the best at calling me out on it. He's like, you don't have to do that. We're just going to be honest. And I'm like, okay, but that's sometimes really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And we should just be uncomfortable. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> but it's yeah. uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It absolutely is. You have kind of already addressed this, but I'm curious to know kind of after you got home and you were finished reading the book, when did you know that you were poly? I I kind of always knew. I just didn't have a name to attach to it. And also, I think that when you don't, when you feel a certain way about yourself and you don't see it acted out in the world, it's really hard to say that you are something when there's no uh, uh, evidence of it in your direct circle. So once I read the book and, and, you know, spoke to my therapist and kind of came to a conclusion that this is who I was, I started seeking other people out. And this also coincided with the move. Uh, I was leaving Boston, coming back to New York City, which is where I live now. And, you know, I went on Meetup and I looked up poly events. And the first one I went to, I was like, holy crap, there's so many people here. Mm -hmm. uh, I am clearly not alone by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and uh, from there, it was just like, okay, I'm going to own this identity. And when, if ever, have you felt different from other folks, if ever? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always felt different from other folks, uh, whether it's, you know, because of, of my ethnicity um, or because of my sexual orientation or because of my relationship orientation. It's very, I mean, the amount of Black, queer, poly men uh, is, is fairly small. Um, although not, you know, not completely invisible. I mean, I, thankfully there are some, um, but, uh, to like all of these different parts of me, you know, there's always going to be something that feels a little bit out of place. Uh, so I'm kind of accustomed to being in those uncomfortable places and I almost welcome it in some ways. Um, but it is nice to be around folks who at least have some, uh, uh, things in common with you in terms of, of identity. And where would you say that you are in your poly journey? You mentioned in the intro that you identify as solo poly right now. Yes, I would like to be, I, I, you know, right now I am not in any relationships at all and I would like to be in a relationship. Um, so, you know, again, while I'm pretty comfortable within my polyamorousness, um, you know, it, it would be nice to, to be dating regularly. And, you know, COVID has been a big part of that. Uh, I'm immunocompromised, so I don't go out as much as some people. I don't take the chances that some people do. Um, I, you know, the options for dating in New York City, believe it or not, are pretty limited, particularly because uh, the events that, uh, that I was going to pre-COVID don't exist anymore. And, uh, you know, I, it, it would be nice. I'm, uh, I think I'm in a place in my life where I could welcome other people into it. And hopefully I'll get there soon. You know, I, I'm also fine being, you know, I'm, I'm fine being single. I've been single for a long time. I can deal with it. But, you know, there's another option. And I think uh, it would be cool to have that other option. And that kind of goes along with our next question, which is, you know, where do you hope to go on your journey? And do you have any like poly goals? Do you have any other kind of poly goals? I don't know if I have any other poly goals. I mean, I, I remember dating someone uh, here in Brooklyn who lived in a poly house. And I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, everybody just kind of like 
goes from apartment to apartment in this building and it's very open and, and people are partners with each other. And at the same time, everybody's still got their own like space where they can go and, and be with themselves if they want to. And I like the idea. I'm, I'm really big on community and I've spent the six and a half years that I've been back in New York, really trying to find my community. And I would love for that community to not be spread out all over the place, you know, uh, across the city, across the country. Um, I would like to have, uh, you know, a community in one, in a closer area. You know, I grew up, um, I didn't grow up with my parents, but I grew up with family in, and it was an extended family and there were, you know, eight to 10 people in the house at any given time. So I'm used to being around lots of, I grew up being around lots of people and it would be nice to sort of, you know, have, have my cake and eat it too, kind of have uh, a, a community built in, but also if I want to go and isolate and do my thing, I have that opportunity as well. So that, that's my, that's my utopia. Mm-hmm. That, that's my utopian goal. So. So why would you say that you are poly? I guess I could go a couple of different ways with this. Um, I am, I, I, I believe that all relationships are valid. I don't put romantic or sexual relationships on, on a hierarchical scale. You know, I think uh, platonic friendship is, is just as valuable. I, the whole, again, the whole heteronormative, like you meet somebody at 19 or 20 or 22 and you make the decision to start a family with them and get married and forever and ever till death do you part just feels nonsensical and not to diss people who are happily monogamous. I know that those people exist, but I also think a lot of people are lying to themselves or lying to their, well, lying to themselves and lying to their partner. You know, what I tell people sometimes is like, look, half of marriages end in divorce. Uh, There is probably another quarter of that or another half of that half who are engaged in non-consensual non-monogamy or at the very least thinking about it. Or, you know, would if they uh, um, if they didn't feel like they would lose uh, a lot of things by uh, straying from from their monogamous marriage. So when something has a 25 percent success rate like that ain't good for anything like I, I, I would not. You know, if I took a test and I got a 25 one and I get kicked out of school, you know, if I was uh, undergoing a surgery, surgical procedure and I had a 25% success rate, I wouldn't go for the surgery. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you think of the fact that at, at, at most 25% of monogamous marriages last, uh, I think the paradigm needs to change. And um, I do think that if polyamory was not stigmatized the way it is, um, I think more people would be openly polyamorous. And even in the last like seven, eight years, I've seen the perception of it change greatly. Um, you know, I had a, a coworker who is, you know, very out, a former coworker who's very out as polyamorous and has been so for a very long time. And, uh, you know, mutual friends used to kind of uh, diss her and, and, and like talk shit about her. And, um, you know, it, it's changed over the years to a lot more understanding and respect. Yeah, I found it even in in friend groups that I've had over the course of, you know, 10, 15 years, people I know being really squicked out about like me talking about like my boyfriend and my other boyfriend or my husband and my boyfriend, whatever. And then 
you know, through the course of knowing me and being able to talk about it for years, they open up their relationship eventually, which is so funny to me because it does feel like it's almost contagious. I'm like, "Ah, I'm I'm, going to put it in your brain. It might not happen now, but seven years down the road, (laughs) you're going to be the virus has entered. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like people catching the gay. It's it's it's, uh, you know, when you model behavior for somebody, uh, it gives them license to then sort of uh, confront whatever's inside them. And uh, then they're like, oh, well, this person or this person does this thing and they're okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll give it a try. And I think also like we I can model a good relationship, too. And not all of my relationships have been like successful and long lasting forever. But like being able to show this relationship um, specifically like the one with my husband that's been long lasting, that's been super healthy, where we can uh, openly talk about things in discussion groups and, and amongst friends. I think people see that and, are, and they're like, oh, oh, it, like it can work. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I think I think a lot of people still have the perception that I initially had about polyamory, which is maybe they maybe they confuse it with polygamy. Maybe they conflate it with swinging. Maybe, they, you know, there are all these different things. And I'm grateful that there are people like you folks and our friends on Life on the Swing set, you know, people like uh, Willow Smith, people who are being open about being polyamorous and doing so without feeling ashamed of it. Um, because I think once you model that behavior, it, it gives people license to be themselves. Without fear. And I, fear is, I think, probably the most motivating factor uh, in humanity. Mm-hmm. So our last question is, why did you agree to be interviewed today? Ha! Um, because, because I think what you folks are doing is pretty awesome. I think owning my truth is, is, is pretty awesome, uh, particularly from a mental health perspective. And uh, I like to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was approached um, by you, Lindsay, a while back and um, immediately was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's really great that you folks are, are spreading the word and normalizing this for people. Again, you know, it kind of goes back to that initial perception that I had and had for the first 35 years of my life and, you know, having people model behavior. So I was like, oh, well, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. It's um, really been fun so far. And my pleasure. Really appreciate bringing in, um, you know, different voices, different perspectives. Um, I think you're absolutely right. There are not that many out queer men of color in our community. And being able to speak to that segment of our community or people who may wonder if they are part of that segment of our community, um, I think is a really important thing for us to be able to do. So thank you. I, I, I agree. I, I no, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, and I you know, want to give a shout out to somebody who's actually been really helpful to me along my journey, Kevin Patterson, a uh, fantastic author of uh, Love's Not Colorblind and another queer black poly uh, 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 human being. And, um, you know, we've inter- interacted on, on many occasions, have friends in common. He's just a great person. And the way that he walks so purposefully and confidently sort of, you know, I, 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 modeled, I modeled his behavior, you know, you know, even though, you know, I think I was queer first. He was poly first. <laughs> <laughs> it is but, a risk. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, gotta gotta get the you know get that uh, updated uh, gift bag that they send you every time that you come out of the closet. Yeah. All right, I actually have a bunch of questions along this line, so I'm gonna save them for a second, and we're gonna go on a quick break. Okay, cool. All right. interested in more polyamory uncensored content you're in luck we just started a blog polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com we're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun, new, poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, we are back, and we're talking to Mike Joseph today about being a queer man in the poly world. And something I had just written down uh, as we were chatting before was, like, the importance of visibility and speaking specifically about, like, folks like Kevin Patterson, who wrote an entire book about um, being a black man in the poly world, right? Like, so, so when you first started going to meetups in, well, you said you started in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a lot of visibility in either like respect? Was there a lot of queer folks that you met? Were there a lot of black folks you met? Or did it feel like you were, as I think Kevin put it in his book, like the ambassador? So two answers, I guess. Uh, There were people of color at the meetups that I went to, you know, a fair amount of of Black folks, uh, some Latinx people, uh, a sprinkling of Asian people. And I think that speaks to New York City and the diversity of New York City more than it speaks to anything else, because I'm pretty sure you could go to any other city in this country and have the same meetup and the representation would be significantly less. We, in November, were at an event in Mexico. And while there were more Black people there than I thought there were going to be, there were still not a lot of Black people there. Um, And I know that that is, you know, the people that organize that event are making a conscious effort to be more inclusive. uh, And I respect and appreciate that. From a queer perspective, you know, the thing is, you can't tell what someone's sexual orientation is by looking at them. So what I experienced uh, in my time of being at these events was, you know, a lot of unicorn hunting. It was a, a straight male with a, uh, uh, you know, bi or pan woman and, you know, looking for uh, usually another woman. But yeah, it, it, I didn't see a lot of, of queer representation. I mean, but again, it's like you can't tell whether someone's queer unless they tell you that. And I also don't stereotypically present as queer. Um, So uh, I I think in a lot of cases, it's like ships passing in the night. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, we don't all have deeds that say, (laughs) you know, that indicate what what you what you might be interested in. So, uh, you know, that that limits uh, the the uh, the interactions there unless you have a conversation, which in a lot of these events, they're so crowded. It's hard to talk to people without being like, what, what? Let's just exchange numbers and do this some other time when they're not 200 people screaming in our ears. Um, oh, wow. So, so there's that. 
I mean, yeah, I guess it really is so uh, dependent on your community because, of course, in Brooklyn, the, like the community in Brooklyn and a, a meeting of 200 plus people is going to be so different than rural Wisconsin, you know, where it's hard to get even like 10, 15 folks together in some areas. Milwaukee's different. We have a big community, but like I know many people in the Facebook communities of, of Wisconsin where there's no one that is out or that they know in their city um, or town or small, you know, village. Right. Uh, and that can be really difficult. And then of course, often it's, uh, you know, again, speaking locally here in Wisconsin, it's like almost all white folks. Um, Milwaukee is probably the most diverse city. And I would say it is definitely the it most diverse. The most yeah, diverse <laughs> definitely the most diverse city in Wisconsin. And even still, like there are folks who are hesitant to join the community because they're worried they're going to be the only person of color. And luckily, that's not the case. But it's yeah, it's it's probably similar to what it was like in Desire, where they're surprised and yet it's not as good as it should be or, you know, like it's not as money as people. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for people that notice that and are trying to change the narrative as opposed to people who are just kind of like, well, this is just the way it is because there are people of different ethnicities and orientations who are interested in this stuff. But when you walk into a room and there are 20 white people in that room and you're the only person of color, you're immediately going to feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, I, I do think that uh, acknowledging that there is an effort, a conscious effort being made to be more inclusive is super important. Yeah. And I think that being virtual, as we have mostly been for the last two years, complicates that as well. I mean, in some ways, it's easier and more accessible. And in other ways, it's more there's a it's harder, I think, to feel welcome as a new person because you can't really step into a community. You can't convince your friend to come along, um, but you also don't have necessarily the same barriers for, you know, do I have transportation to this part of town? Do I feel comfortable in this part of town? Do I, you know, know where I can safely park? You know, all those kinds of random things that can make a physical location be more or less intimidating to different communities. Yeah. One thing about physical versus virtual location that sticks with me is in a physical location, you kind of walk in and you scan the venue, you look around and you look for pockets of people where you're like, okay, this, these might be my people. So I'm going to walk over and talk to them, start a conversation with them in a zoom conversation or in a zoom setting. There's only one conversation that can be happening at a time. So regardless of who you might want to talk to and you might scan faces on camera and be like, Oh, I might want to talk to that person, that person. You can't really do that because one person is holding court at a time. Yeah. And that has been really awkward and, and strange at, because we we've been doing social events on zoom as well. And having a social event on zoom is like, it's either. So what do y'all want to talk about? (laughs) And then you just leave it open and some people talk and some people don't, or it's, two or three people dominating the conversation and everyone else is kind of like along for the ride because this is as close to socializing as we get. So that's, that's what we get, you know? And so it's, it's, it's really awkward and weird. I, 
I am so looking forward to summer because I feel like we can feel safe being outside again and, and socializing mm-hmm. at least in that capacity outside. But oh my God, it's so, yeah, it's so weird. And I don't really know what the answer to is, you know, like to sol- to solve it, except wait and just wait until summer. That's when we'll get it. <laughs> yeah. And I want to give you some kudos, Lindsay, for really maintaining the effort. Uh, Lindsay has been organizing the meetup group in Milwaukee for 11 or 12 years at this point. And, um, you know, when we were in physical reality, you know, that <laughs> took a different kind of energy and maintenance and and work on your part. But you've kept it up during, you know, the the new times. And I'm glad you're doing it, even though. I went one time and was like, nope, I hate this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> why did you why did you hate it? Um, I just felt like, like you said, there's not really a way to have an individual conversation. I, I felt I didn't feel it didn't help me feel connected to the people in the same way that, you know, sitting around in a circle in a room did or even, you know, the social events that we would have at different venues like I want to be able to have a conversation, but I don't want to necessarily be the person who does all the talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not a huge problem for me, but I certainly don't (laughs) want to do it all the time. I get it. I get it. Well, kudos to you, Lindsay, for organizing all of this stuff. Um, Because I, you know, and it's funny because I just saw a cat roll up behind you. It's like, (laughs) so herding cats is clearly a specialty of yours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've got lots of practice at home. I got three. And then I've got lots of practice in the poly group because there's like 500 members. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, trying to organize any group of people is uh, uh, ridden with headaches. So kudos to you for for keeping on with that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really hoping it's uh temporary who knows how long this will last, but you know, I'm, I am really like, I cannot wait for it to be over even just 45 degrees. I'm like, <laughs> like we just got to get over a certain point where it's okay to wear a jacket outside and it's not too mm-hmm. windy. And we're not feeling like, like we hate ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, when, you know, we're in Wisconsin, right? We mm-hmm. have tried. Um, I went to an event a year ago when was i'm looking at Lindsay because she the, was the inauguration yeah the inau- we, yeah so, we so went january to an of outdoor last year. lakefront january like celebrate the champagne celebration of the new president um gathering and it was so cold yeah, and, I can't windy, imagine. and it was right on lake michigan but we were all so excited to be around people that we stood out there for like two hours. Yeah. I, wow. I swear it took me another four hours to not be cold. Yeah. To just warm back up. Yeah. Walking yeah. back to my car. I was like, oh, my God. I stopped at a coffee shop just to like go to the bathroom and buy. I was like anything hot. I just need <laughs> hot water. I don't care. I'm so cold. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was rough. And that was back Mm-mm. before vaccines. So we were like really careful, masked outside distance in the cold like yeah like i think that the closest anybody got was a few people hugged each other and then backed away yeah yeah oh yeah but we i mean that's one thing i also really appreciate is so challenging and yet so important we want to be careful we know we want to be careful of all of the people in our community right and so we don't want to have events 
that are unwelcoming to people who, you know, have health concerns and we want to make sure that we're taking care of each other and ourselves, you know, and that's gotten a little bit easier with vaccines, but you are certainly not the only member of the community that has a compromised immune system. And, you know, we want to keep all of you in our community. (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that most of the poly people that I know have been very conscientious about that. And, uh, you know, it sucks to not be able to walk into a bar uh, and hug your friends and like kind of do all that stuff. Um, But at the same time, look, it's in the name of of safety and keeping people around so that the next time there is an event where people can hug each other, they can do so. Mm -hmm. Right. When we can do outdoor activities that adds a layer of safety that maybe we can like, okay, we can suck it up for now again for a while. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm with Lindsay here where it's like, if it goes above 45, hits 45, 50, I will be out there. Yeah. Just like jacket weather. We're, that's okay. Yeah. We'll be doing we'll, uh, we'll be out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what struggles would you say are kind of unique to being like a queer man in the community? <sighs> Speaking for myself, um, the, the, the struggle is meeting other queer men who, cause it's like, you get two sort of extremes. I feel like in that community, um, you get people who are, uh, um, you know, kind of all the way out and, uh, you know, on the sort of colorful and flamboyant side. And, and while that's amazing, that's not necessarily what I'm attracted to. Um, and then on the other hand, you get people who are who are curious and don't know how to articulate that curiousness properly. And that is frustrating because there's a whole like this may sound horrible to say there's a whole like education process that has to go along with that. And it's kind of like, you know, you poke one toe out, toe goes back in, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, kind of that thing. And uh, yeah, it, it's just sort of frustrating to uh, find people who are willing to sort of meet me where I'm at, um, which is, you know, I'm fully out. Uh, I'm not ashamed of anything. I am looking for more than a sexual relationship. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to communicate honestly about whatever. And that just seems like it's a really hard, you know, bad pun alert, really hard nut to crack. Um, <laughs> so uh, that, that's been, that's been my frustration. And I think um, some of that may also have to do with just living where I live. The, now it's great to have a huge community, but when you have a huge community, you almost are overwhelmed by options. Totally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it isn't like, okay, this is one person in the 30 that I know. So, and I really dig this person. Um, so I'm going to try to, you know, see what happens here. It's, you know, it's 300 or 500 or whatever. And it's just like constant, um, you know, you, it, it, it's, uh, there, there's just so much choice. Um, and uh, I think people, even in, you know, monogamous folks are just like, there's so much going on here. It's very hard for me to, to figure out exactly what I want, because it's like you get the, oh, a squirrel. And then like somebody else comes, comes walking into the picture. Um, so, I, you know, those are the struggles that I, that I deal with the most, I think. 
I think in a somewhat smaller community, you also like you start to see the same people at events and there's sort of a slow build. Intimacy feels like too strong of a word, but baseline of relationship and baseline of getting to know the people, that's probably a lot easier than when there are 500 people or 200 people. I agree. And if you're going to, uh, you know, this one event that I'm thinking about is called Poly Cocktails, and it used to happen once a month. And from month to month, the turnover was so dramatic. You could walk in and, you know, half of the people there are people that you've never seen before. You know, they put an article, I think, in Time Out New York uh, before one event. And it was like everybody, all of a sudden, everybody became curious, like, oh, let's check this thing out. And it, you know, it was like, okay, who are all these new people? And then it's like, A, where are the folks that I'm used to seeing here? And then B, you're just kind of like, oh, this is a new face. This is a new face. Like, you know, it's overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I could see how that almost like, I think, um, I don't know if choice paralysis is a term where you like, you're like paralyzed by how much choice you have. We -hmm. we say it at work ever so often because there's so many sex toys and people come in and they're like, I don't know. I don't even know what, (laughs) I don't even know what this is. Like, I don't know where I am, you know? And I think that, yeah, and that it's a double-edged sword where like it, it can be great because you have so many opportunities to meet new people. And then the downside is you're incredibly overwhelmed and, and can't meet anyone because it's just too it's too, too much. much yeah it is too much and i think that the downside like of of the opposite whereas having like a kind of smaller community it can end up feeling really incestuous because like oh well my partner is dating you know this person and is married to this person who's also dating my other partner and because and it just gets kind of sometimes messy so you know mm-hmm. depending on the drama levels right and so um yeah we've we joke that milwaukee can get pretty incestuous the uh the L word, you know, kind of uh, uh, blank <laughs> wall chart. of, of ch- uh, yeah, chart of people connected to one another gets really spider webby and connected and, and starts looking like a conspiracy theorist wall, you know, like, but, but yeah, it, uh, it, it gets complicated in that way too. If your community is too small. Right. So I don't know what that, I don't know what the sweet spot is. What's I the sweet I, spot? Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's the pro and con. I think you just They're have to figure cons. out what you need and want and mm-hmm. try to find a community that is your sweet spot because it's probably <laughs> not the same for everybody. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I feel like just like you said, where there was an article about it and then a bunch of people who maybe had never gone to a meetup, but were interested or curious went like every time we hosted meetups, even though there were only like 30 people, there were always new folks. Like there are always people interested in polyamory or curious or, or have just now discovered it for the first time in their life in a marriage that's been 30 years going, you know, things like that, that always happens. So there always are new people joining the community. There always are new members, generally speaking, depending on where you live. But um, so that kind of creates a little bit of like new energy and, um, and, You're not always seeing the same people, but oftentimes it's nice when you do see a core group of people that end up feeling like family and you can make, you know, know that they're going to be there. Um, That can be really lovely, too. So, yeah. Yeah, And that, I think, is more what I'm after. New energy is great. And it is nice to see people sort of cycle in and and get that religion. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, But at the same time, when everybody's new all the time, 
um, it just, you know, again, it just becomes super overwhelming. And then just the environment that these are in where it's a bar and it's loud and there's a bunch of people talking and you're like, hey, what's your name? Where do you live? Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's uh, not the most conducive to bonding with people. It's really a place where you can like clock people and you meet them and you're like, you know what? We're going to need to continue this conversation someplace quieter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was so. actually just listening to a podcast with Hank Green and he was talking about how people used to get community by going to church. And now we find communities online or we make our own communities. And I was just thinking about like the, the kind of correlation of poly groups and poly communities feeling like community organizations like churches, you know, and I was like, Mm -hmm. and I definitely, I didn't grow up in a church and I I never went, but I was like, but that's my church, you know, like that's, I'm meeting with them every couple of weeks. I'm, we do potlucks. We do, you know, like sometimes we'll do charity events or, you know, things like that, or we'll do activist events or protests together. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's my church. (laughs) It's it's family. You know, it's funny after desire, I, I had friends like, you know, so what was it like? And I, I said, this is a really odd thing to say about an event where no one has any clothes on, but it <laughs> felt like family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it, it really did. And that closeness, I mean, that closeness is built on years of communicating online and being at previous events and that kind of thing. Um, but that is, you know, that's kind of my ideal. And that's what's, you know, the difficult New York. I love I was born here. I was raised here. I, I live here. I love New York City, but there are too many people. <laughs> <laughs> and even from like a platonic friendship level, it's kind of like, oh, do you want to hang out? Oh, well, I got this thing going on or I'm doing this. Or it's just it's, so you have to make appointments with people. And it's not just like calling somebody up day of and being like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie on HBO at 8 p.m. Do you want to drive over? And then somebody actually like being, oh, yeah, I wasn't doing anything either. I'm going to come over. Um, that does not happen here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's also a poly struggle too. The people are so busy. I know uh, a friend of mine was like, if you're not planning things two weeks in advance, we will never see each other. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, whatever calendar app you use, I was going to say Google calendar, but you know, whatever calendar app anybody uses, that is your best friend. Right. Yeah. Cause I literally have no idea what I'm doing from day to day without a calendar. And I hate to flake on people, um, and prior to that, people would be like, oh, well, you said that you were going to be, you're supposed to be here. We're having this today. And I was like, oops. <laughs> right. Didn't put it on my calendar. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I joke with my kids all the time, like, because they'll say something like when we're driving somewhere, like, oh, when are we at our other parents' house or what is, you know, when are we doing X? Like, I cannot answer a calendar question. Yeah, it's a really good tell tool. you what's happening today. There's a small chance I can tell you what ha- what's happening tomorrow. But beyond that, if I'm not looking at the calendar, this is not a trustworthy answer. Yeah. What and do poly like- people do before the Internet? Yeah. Yeah. We have so much going on nowadays <laughs> that like this tool of the calendar, it saves our brain from that space that we used to probably used to. I don't know. All of us. Some folks, I think, did have paper calendars. <laughs> right. But um, where we used to just keep that in our brains and taking up space that we now dedicate to, I don't know, partners or 
birthday dates or, you know, like, <laughs> like things that we other things that we need to remember. But yeah. yeah. So my parents aren't poly, but they were always people who were very busy people and had a lot of stuff going on. And we had like one of those giant desk blotter calendars mm. hanging in our kitchen. And each day had like a two by three inch square with lines. And there were always things written on the calendar. And it was right there next to the kitchen table. So like we're sitting down for dinner and looking at the calendar like, OK, we got 20 minutes until, you know, dad's doing X or mom's doing Y or somebody's got something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just so lovely, too, because you can have like 10 calendars and turn them on and off depending on on what you want to see for that day. And and <laughs> being able to I do think it's calendar like a, you need to be sharing that. Yeah, day. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's just kind of a milestone in a relationship where you're like, we should just share calendars like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, Mike, what is your podcast about and what is it? What is it called? <laughs> uh, so uh, the podcast is called Detoxicity and it. it is inspired by sort of my own journey through life and um, just the uh, ingrained conditioned behaviors uh, that are super damaging to us uh, as, as men. Um, And I mean, it's not, everybody is welcome to listen to and get stuff from the podcast. A lot of this is, you know, not gender specific, but the people that I interview are men. And, um, you know, we just talk about, uh, whatever struggles we've been through and, and what we've learned from them and what motivates us to become better as people, whether that's, you know, parenting or being parented or, or divorce or, uh, you know, relationship struggles, uh, sexuality, mental health, um, physical health, um, you know, how that intersects with ethnicity and race. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we just have a bunch of, of conversations and I interview a different person uh, for each episode, uh, we've uh, I've fortunately had some people come back a uh, second and even a third time to, to talk. Um, but it's really just kind of based on the premise, A, that everybody has a story. And I think everybody has an interesting story if they are true to themselves. Like if you, you know, drop the guard and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, your story is probably pretty damn interesting. Um, and, you know, we can all learn from one another. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I just think the way that we have been the way that many of us have been taught uh, to live as men and the way that those of us who are not men have been taught men should be really, really needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's in the process of changing, but maybe not changing fast enough, um, you know, particularly given current ev- events of the last like five or six years. I think that's become pretty front and center there. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's really about listening and, and learning. And, and honesty, um, you know, things that I hold pretty paramount. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And it's, it, you know, we're in a society that socializes men to or folks raised as men that they just cannot be vulnerable and they can't they can't express emotion. And that is so damaging to everyone yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just these uh, um, these walls that get put up, it's like, oh, you know, you, it, I mean, first of all, there's like relationship hierarchy. Um, there's, you know, uh, uh, not listening to other people. There's not being open with other people. There's not valuing your platonic friends. There's, um, yeah, it's just all this stuff that's kind of tied into it. And, you know, I think with a lot of men, 
unless you unburden yourselves of these things, um, it's going to come out in a way that that is going to be really damaging. I mean, you know, you can't hide from yourself forever. Uh, so I think the more we confront these behaviors and what's wrong about these behaviors and open ourselves up to just be more open, more honest, more vulnerable, um, you know, more curious, um, you know, it's going to make us all better. Totally. That sounds really interesting. Thanks. I, I just find, I find people interesting. Um, so just, I, I, I do very little talking on the podcast. Actually, it's really just giving other people a forum to, you know, talk about themselves. And I just try to direct the conversation. Basically I'm the, you know, air traffic controller. Um, but, uh, people are tremendously, they're frustrating and interesting at the same time. Yeah. It's like frustrating how, (laughs) and I mean, we've experienced this, I feel like on the podcast too, frustrating how people will sometimes, well, their social conditioning comes through in the, in the things they say. And you're like, Ooh, let's get into that or, or, or <laughs> yeah. let's avoid it. Like, Ooh, I don't want to, Ooh, that sounds horrible. Like, or whatever, you know, like, Ooh, uh, why, why, why would you think that? You know? <laughs> like, why yeah. Do you, yeah. And it, and it's, and it, it is nice to be able to come at it from a place of society taught you that was true, but it's not. Uh, so let's dive into it. Uh, right. But instead of coming at it from a, a place of hate, you know, because I think that that's where a lot of folks or rage will will automatically go. You're wrong. And, and, and I want to fight about it, <laughs> whereas it could be like you were brainwashed to believe that. And I think we should talk about it. And uh, and it's hard. It's sometimes hard to to come at it in, in that way. But I feel like podcasts are a good uh, way to do that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I, there are lots of perspectives that I would not have considered had it not been for podcasts or social media, um, as crappy as social media can be sometimes, um, just the uh, ability to hear from folks with different perspectives uh, has, has increased my level of empathy. And it's also given me more knowledge about myself because, you know, going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, if you don't know other people who feel what you're feeling inside, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to be comfortable with it. You're not going to, to live in your truth. It's kind of like you have to be, you know, someone has to give you that invisible push. Um, and maybe sometimes people have to give you like an actual push. But yeah, I, it's been great for those reasons. That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, it also finding that way to connect with people, even though we don't actually really know the people on the other side of the podcast voice like there's still that sense of connection sometimes where you're like oh yeah i relate so hard to what this person is saying yeah and it's like if you're well back in the days when you had to wait a week to see an episode of a tv show or something like that these are people that eventually sort of became part of your family you hear someone's voice enough times in in whether based in reality or not, you think you know the person, you have some kind of relationship with them. So uh, I do think that uh, the internet has increased the possibilities for connection, while not necessarily increasing the levels of connection, uh, but the, the, the aim is there, like the possibilities are there. It's just you know up to the individual how they use it. Yeah, 
I'm sitting here thinking about all the NPR personalities. So I feel like I know because I listen to their podcasts or their yeah. radio shows and like, okay, right, right. Don't actually know them. <laughs> <laughs> They're it not sitting in your feels living room. Like I know them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, speaking absolutely. about, um, you know, someone we just, we had mentioned previously, like Cooper and Dylan from life on the swing set. I listened to their podcast. I mean, granted, they came and they did a class at the store that I work at. And so then I found out about them and then I started listening to their podcast and they have a huge amount, you know, hundreds of episodes. And so I started listening to all of them, it felt like, and I felt like I knew them. And then I would actually be in a conversation with them in person when they'd come and do a class again. And they'd be like, oh, right, because like you did this and you said this and you you are interested in this thing. And they're like, I don't know you like. What are you? Like, what the fuck? Oh, right. You listen to me. <laughs> it, it really is funny. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to meet Cooper and Dylan a couple of times, but I've only met Jin and Prof once. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I feel so close to them. It's almost mind boggling that I've only met them one time. Right. Yeah. It's 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 crazy. The, the bonds you can make with people nowadays. And just, you know, as someone I'm in my 40s, as someone who knows a time and you know was a teenager at least at a time before the internet became a thing it's crazy to me to think that you could forge these bonds with people that are far away that you know primarily by voice and not by them standing in front of you but you know here we are in 2022 mm-hmm. yeah and and, and and that's the reality and now we're all on the other side of it too you know like yeah. i've had people come into the my job and be like i listen to your podcast and i'm like yeah. what Okay, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really yeah. funny. At Desire, I had somebody uh, go, oh, you're Mike Joseph, not through Life on the Swing Set, but through Detoxicity. Mm, nice. And I was Very like, cool. oh, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I went to um, Madison one time for an event and ended up um, running into somebody who I had met at one of, at a um, poly event here in Milwaukee. And so, you know, my friend who I was there with and I went out for drinks with these people and all of a sudden one of them was like, wait, you're Katie Williams. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm getting fangirled. This is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Yeah. I, that's, that's, you know, that's where we're living now. It's uh it's odd. Yeah. But I, I, I love knowing that people appreciate uh, what I'm putting out there. And I, you know, I love the fact that I have a more direct line to tell people that I appreciate the things that they're doing. So it's kind of cool. Although when somebody recognizes you and you're standing in front of them, butt ass naked and you know, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That takes a different kind of (laughs) self-acceptance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. (laughs) It is super like rewarding and special, though, to be in that kind of position. I do feel like, you know, I don't know. I to anyone listening now, you are my friend. Like, <laughs> you know, like I do like that idea. That, yeah. yeah. Anyone who's in this community uh, listening fans or whatever, polyamorous censored, like I, we consider you friends. <laughs> it's true. We love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. We'd love to talk to you. Reach out and, you know, we'd happy to interview you, too. 
Yeah. People we've interviewed have actually become like closer friends sometimes, especially people who are local who we get to see. But yeah, some some folks in the community, we only met by interviewing them and then like became their friends. And I was like, well, what a weird, you know, like (laughs) of uh, like. I don't know, just what a weird opportunity that we've put ourselves in and, and and can do now that we wouldn't have been able to had we not started this. And it's just, yeah, it's just so strange and, and wonderful, lovely. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. All of those words, mm-hmm. all of those words. All right. Well, this is a good place to end it, I guess. <laughs> we've been talking for over an hour now. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess. Where can folks find you other than um, or or as in addition to your podcast, um, share, promote yourself if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the podcast is called Detoxicity. It is available on just about everywhere you can find podcasts. So uh, I hope that you check that out. And if you are interested in being interviewed at, at any point, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I am on Twitter uh, at TizMikeJoseph. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. And um, yeah. I am easily locatable, accessible in those places. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Cool. I will link all of that stuff on our show notes, as well as uh, I wrote down Ethical Slut, Kevin Patterson, and any other <laughs> any other links. So I will promote all of uh, our good friends as well. Nice. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. Cool. This was really thank lovely. You. Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, I had a great Thanks time. so much, Mike. It was really a pleasure talking with you. Of course. Of course. If you ever need me again, I'm here. All right. Great. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> All right, y'all. All right. Take Enjoy care, Enjoy the rest everybody. of your Sunday. You All too. Right. Yep. Bye. Take care. All right. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller. And Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember... We love you. Bye.